Welcome to Fringe Division. Division, a spoiler-free rewatch podcast of the hit TV show Fringe. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Martin. And today we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot, which was first aired in the US on September 9th, 2008, on Fox in the US and on Sky 1 in the UK on October 5th, 2008. It was written by J.J. Abrams, Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi, who are also credited as the show's creators. Um, and who also worked on Star Trek 2009 together. The pilot was directed by Alex Graves, who also directed 34 episodes of The West Wing. Fun fact, this is the only episode Alex Graves directed of French. What's going to happen is this. Jimmy and I will go through the pilot of the episode and have a discussion that will be spoiler-free for the rest of the show. Yeah, that's because you never saw the final season and I don't remember it. So if you've not, you know, if you're watching Fringe for the first time, we're not going to tell you that. <laughs> uh, thank fuck! I'm going to edit this one. You can't say that, Martin. <sighs> right. This is just a taste of the hilarity you can come to expect from this podcast. Right. So, do we have to introduce ourselves? Should we introduce ourselves, Selsh? Yes, because it's the first one, Jimmy. Yes, I know, but I'm an assumption that anybody that's listening to this has already listened to stuff I've already heard, but I've already recorded, sorry. But that is not necessarily true, because we haven't recorded the Fringe podcast before. So, this is different. So, I'm Jimmy, um, and I uh, podcast. Martin? I'm Martin, and I podcast. Good, that's out of the way. There, that's it, that's it, done. Right. So, we both watched the pilot, not together, because we... um, Didn't know each other yet. But did you watch it live when it aired on Sky, or what's your history with with this pilot? I saw this in 2008 when it first aired. I enjoyed the pilot, but I wasn't won over by it. I didn't immediately go back and watch the series regularly. Mm -hmm. It comes across very procedural in your CSI, NCIS um, kind of, oh, here's a weird thing of the week. Let's do the same sort of thing each time and solve the mystery and go home. Yeah, it's like it's the X-Files. But- it was only a couple of years later, I think it was around the time season four was airing, that someone was talking about films and shows that deal with uh, various sci-fi tropes mm-hmm. and um, I found out a spoiler for the season one finale that really caught my attention and I was like okay now that's interesting now I want to find out where that show went and I went back and got the DVD and started watching from the start. There was a, a couple of trailers that were kicking about you know how during pilot season 
they always like leak, not leak, but they, they always uh, show trailers and stuff, and you can watch them on YouTube. That's where I first caught wind of this show. There's a scene in this where Olivia is talking to Walter, and Peter is just sitting in the background, and he's talking, but no one's really reacting to him. So when I saw first saw that scene, like it was just shown as like a trailer that scene. I thought that maybe like uh, Pacey was playing a guy who wasn't actually there because of the way that that scene was, you know, shot and edited. It was like nobody was really reacting to it. Walter reacted to him. So maybe I thought it was like he was a figment of Walter's imagination or something at the time. Um, then I watched it. It wasn't that at all. For our valued younger listeners, in the 20th century, uh, the chap who plays Peter was on a program called Dawson's Creek. Yes. I've never seen this. What, Dawson's Creek? Yeah. I used to watch it all the time. Were you a girl? Well, we we promised not to talk about that, Martin. But, no. So now we've done, like, the introductions and... I I didn't actually see any of the trailers. I just heard it was a new program from J.J. Abrams who was the guy that did Lost Mm. and this is when Lost was still good. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, season four. um, Mm -hmm. It would have been... Yeah, so we'd had three seasons. So this was when Lost was only a little bit shaky. Um, I love season four of Lost. Season four of Lost is my favourite. We hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, I know, but it's my favourite. And I like season five... But season six can fuck right off. If you are listening with kids, uh, there might be some swearing. <laughs> Why would they listen with kids? Kids shouldn't be watching French. <laughs> A guy's jaw drops off in the first ten minutes. They shouldn't be watching French. If you're if you've listened to this with kids and your kids are watching French, you're terrible fucking parents. That should be the name for the podcast. What terrible fucking parents? You're terrible fucking parents. Yeah. And you should be ashamed of yourself. A friend rewatch podcast. I have to say, watching the pilot back, it was, I wouldn't say dated. And I think even at the time, I realised it was quite zeitgeisty. Mm -hmm. Like, the fact that there was an incident on a plane, and it's a terrorist incident. Um, You know, and then we have scenes in Iraq. It all felt like they were really pushing how contemporary and modern the show was. Yeah. Let's just go over the plot of the pilot. The episode, not the guy flying the plane, who's yes. also in the episode. Yes. <laughs> we could. We should do a podcast where we just review pilots that feature characters who are pilots. Um, Lost has one. Yeah. And, and most Star Trek shows. Yeah, right. So we'll go over the uh, plot. We're going to. I'm going to read it from Wikipedia because that's shorter. Because the one on the fringe wiki is about fucking five pages long. Okay. Um, a man on an international flight injects himself with an insulin pen, which releases a biological agent that quickly kills everyone on board by causing their flesh to crystallize. Um, see the scene. Uh, this is not a synopsis. This is me. See the scene where. The guy's jaw drops off. That is what sold me on this pilot. Because it reminded you of Raiders of Lost Ark? No, because um, I'm a horror guy. You're not, but I'm a horror guy, so that just sort of... That was like, oh yeah, okay, this is kind of X-Files-y. I'm into this just now. 
Um, so yeah, that's what sold me on the pilot. The airplane's autopilot system lands the plane at Boston's Logan Airport, where various federal agencies create a task force to investigate what occurred during the flight. If we have any pilots listening, I'd love to know of the feasibility of that. Uh, well, at landing. Yeah. Uh, Abrams, Orsi, and uh, Kurtzman talk about it on the audio commentary, and they say that it's bollocks, but they wrote it in anyway. Uh, although there was actually some debate between them if it could happen or not. The Did you notice on the engines of the plane, there's, and I can say this because it's not a spoiler because it's in the actual episode later on, there's massive dynamic logos on the engines of the planes. I didn't actually notice that, I'm afraid. Yes, there we go. Um, FBI agent, FBI special agent, sorry, Olivia. FBI special agent Olivia Dunham and her partner, Agent Scott, he just he doesn't get a first name, just Agent Scott, and this, are together in a bed at a motel where Scott says that he loves her. Dunham receives a call from her boss, Charlie Francis. Is he her boss? I don't think he is. They're just buddies. Yeah, I think they're just... Well, yeah, I think they're buddies. I don't think he's the boss. He's not... And he's not her partner, but... Who tells her to head to the airport. Dunham is added to the interagency task force headed by Philip Broyles, who has the best voice ever on a human being. Right, so this opening scene then, we're, what, 10, 15 minutes into this already? Something like that. We've set up Olivia Dunham and... uh, we. I don't know if you remember, but when you first watched this, did you maybe think that it was going to be about those two? Because that's clearly the intention, um, that they were going to be the leads. Or did you think, oh, he's going to die? I can't remember. It was, no, uh... it was long ago. But the intention is obviously that they're setting this up to be like an X-Files type show. And that these two are going to be the leads. I had been aware that John Noble was a main character, so I don't think I expected... Um, the bloke without a first name to stick around for long. Yeah, but it wasn't exactly going to be John Noble and Olivia Dunham together. That would be a very different show. It might work. We'll never know. Yeah, we'll never know. Following a tip, Dunham and Scott are sent to a storage facility where they uncover a biochemical laboratory, which explodes when detonated by a suspect they're chasing. They don't mention this in the synopsis, but the guy's the spitting image of a guy who's on the plane. I thought I thought something was up with that, because the premise of the show was weird shit. Yes, yes, and that was weird shit, that that guy was alive and well, considering we saw him die. Mm. That is very weird shit. I like, there's a nice overhead shot of the storage containers. Yes. Uh, so he's chasing the guy in the snow, and it's a really lovely overhead shot. I like that. Um, and it, it reminded me of Pac-Man. <laughs> oh, see if there isn't already. Someone has to, put, someone has to put the Pac-Man sounds over that and put it on the internet. Um, so yeah, and there's a shot of the guy when the, the explosion happens and Olivia gets flown backwards. There's a shot of the guy who they were chasing, and that was put there so the audience knows that that guy survives. Because that was actually shot afterwards. They'd shot the, the pilot and they were like, wait a minute, people might think he's dead. Scott is affected by the chemicals released in the explosion and is placed into an artificial coma to slow the progression of the chemical reaction. And what is his, what's the, the reaction he's having, Martin? He goes all see-through. He does indeed. 
like like a hurty ghost. While investigating a possible cure to Scott's condition, Dunham blackmails Peter Bishop to gain access to his father, Dr. Walter Bishop. So this would be a good opportunity to ask what you think of the very big letters that people have dotted around various places. Right, okay. I like it. You don't I I I'm I'm assuming <laughs> It irritated me more at the time and um right. I'm not enthusiastic about it, um but it didn't bother me quite as much as it did then, probably because I know that they sort of ease off on it once the show has sort of got more established. Uh, It was something I first saw in Panic Room, which was 2002, David Fincher film. They did that for like their main title sequence. Yeah, that's that's where where they got it from. J.J. Abrams liked that and stole it. Like the one that really bothers me, it's not quite the same thing, but um, Quantum of Solace does a similar thing where uh, like title cards are part of the scene, like you'll see London as if it's printed on a road and then a car drives over it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that film, they also have normal title cards. And it's like, if you want it, to, if you want your style to be stupid, that's fine, but consistency is key. Yes, but isn't that just like Quantum of Solace in a nutshell, though? Yeah. That movie's a mess. Um, the, the letters... I do. I like them. I don't know why. I've always liked them. But I did like the ones in Panic Room as well, because I saw Panic Room before I saw this. But I just like that sort of thing. I think it's creative. But, like, when it's going through the one that's in the FBI offices, it goes through the O, there's, a, like, a pheromone sound um, as it goes through it. And I quite like that. I don't know why. It's just, it's it's silly, but I like it. And the music was, of course, uh, Michael Giacchino, uh, mm-hmm. who did the music on Lost and pretty much everything else that J.J. Uh, Abrams has directed since. Pretty much, yeah. It helps that his music is really good. Yeah. Um, And he's a very talented composer. I mean, you can say what you want about Lost. Uh, I certainly do. I really don't like that last season, but um, his music is phenomenal at times in that show. He's, he's just really good at... Um, and composing themes for certain people as well is really good. Uh, Dr. Walter Bishop... Had a top secret work at had top secret work at Harvard in fringe science. Uh, it resulted in him being sent to a mental institution. I've no idea if fringe science is the actual term used, but it sounds like it could be. Mm-hmm. For the purposes of a TV sh- TV show, it works. Yeah, like for actual like academic study, it's probably best avoided. Yeah, Dunham manages to release Walter from the institution, although she doesn't really do it. It's Peter, it does it? Anyway, never mind. Um, however, he becomes enraged when he discovers his lab in Harvard has been shut down. I like that uh, Peter keeps calling Denim Honey, making him sound like a 40s movie star. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's talk about Josh Jackson then. Um, he was the last one cast. He was cast right at the very last minute. Um, and I think he's good in this. Uh, he's been acting, he's a child star. He was around even before Dawson's Creek. He was in the Mighty Ducks movies. So, you know, he's been around and he's done more stuff since this. Has there ever been a show where one of the cast wasn't cast at the very last minute? I don't think so. I think I think it has to happen. I think mm. it must be like a clause in the contract to the casting director. It's like, you can cast everyone, but there has to be someone that you cast at the last minute for us and they must be really good. 
Um, there's a really good bit of acting that Josh Jackson does when he's walking in to talk to Walter, mm. and he's quite confident, and he's strutting in. He's like, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take any of this shit today." And he walks in, and he sees Walter sitting there, and he hasn't seen him in seventeen years. And Walter's like now dishevelled and has a beard and stuff. And it's the way, as soon as he sees Walter, he sort of slows down and then stops mm. and then has to compose himself. I, I, I think that's a really good bit of acting there. What happened next in the plot? Broyles reopens the laboratory where Dunham transfers Scott's body to identify the man from the for- to identify the man from the storage facility. Walter synchronizes Dunham's brainwaves with the comatose Scott's so that she can read his mind. Walter claims that sinking brainwaves and even reanimating the dead can be accomplished up to six hours after death. And it's a handy excuse to get your main lady into her knickknacks. It is. And they do say that in the actual commentary, that they do admit that that's exactly what it was for. They, they do the exact same thing with Kate and Lost. Yes. Oh no, bees! Yeah, but in the pilot, she's just like standing in the water dress, uh, cleaning herself in her undies. That's not the sort of thing we're supposed to approve of anymore. No, no. With the help of Durham's assistant federal agent Astrid Farnsworth. Um, <laughs> Farnsworth, I love that name. It just reminds me of Futurama. Um, the experiment succeeds. Durham identifies the man in Scott's memory. One of my uh, favourite bits of IMDb trivia, or stupid bits of IMDb trivia, which really annoyed me, mm. was just... One of the characters is called Astrid. This is an anagram of TARDIS. Okay. <laughs> Which is up there like the bit for um, the X-Men movie set in the 60s with uh, January Jones, which said, This film stars Kevin Bacon. January Jones normally works with John Hamm. Both are named shared with pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, IMDb trivia is just a a wealth of stupidity, isn't it? And knowledge. Uh, well, yeah, and that, and that. Dunham identifies a man in Scott's memory, Morgan Stieg, as a passenger on the plane. The team learns Stieg's twin brother, Richard Stieg, was an employee of Massive Dynamic, a company founded by William Bell, Walter's old lab partner. I really like the world building they've done mm-hmm. in how they set up Massive Dynamic, because... You can tell the sort of company they're going for without just seeing it as a placeholder for a genuine company. Like, it never feels too fake. Yeah, you wouldn't really want your real company to be associated with Massive Dynamic. Necessarily. Necessarily, because if you did, um, Nina Sharp would just kill you with her metal arm. Yes. There seemed to be a couple of years there where they loved giving people robot arms. Mm-hmm. Although the only other examples I can think of are fan films that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. Um, the When we're outside Massive Dynamic, um, a man who appears to be bald wearing a suit and a hat walks by. That that may... that I don't know if that's going to be important or not. Um, there's a message in the little ad break things uh, that it spells out uh, Observer. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really know how that works, but apparently it does. Yeah, it goes, but I can't remember. It's a, it's the way the, like the um the first one is the butterfly, and it has mm. a yellow dot to its left, and then it's the leaf which has a yellow dot at the top, 
and I think it's where the yellow dots are. That's how it works out as, like, that's O, that's B, that's S, that's E. I think that happens in every episode, that the, the, the things that we see, like the leaf and the apple and stuff, they're all, they all add up to a word, and this episode had Observer, um, and we'll talk about, I was actually going to use that as a um, segment, but I forgot to tell you, so that's quite all right. <laughs> it's called Massive Dynamic, right? But there is one of the captions that says Massive Dynamics and Charlie and Nina Sharp both say both call it Massive Dynamics in the pilot. So it's, you know, they're wrong. It's Massive Dynamic. You'd think she would know it's her bloody company. Yeah, that is the sort of thing that uh, gets tweaked between pilot and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. and final show. Dunham goes to Massive Dynamic Headquarters and meets with Executive Director Nina Sharp with her metal arm, who agrees to give her all of the information on Stieg. The suspect is arrested and initially refuses to provide a list of ingredients present in the toxin, but Peter's threat of exposing him to the chemicals cause... But Peter's threat of exposing him to the chemicals causes him to reveal the ingredients. Also, I think maybe slamming his hand with a, a cup maybe also helped. Mm-hmm. Um, the information provides a cure for Scott. The suspect reveals that he did not sell his chemicals, but was forced into what he did by someone from Dunham's office. Dun, dun, dun. The suspect, twist. yes, twist. The suspect leads um, Dunham to a buried tape recording of his phone conversations about the chemicals and the attack, where Dunham realizes that Scott was involved with the attack from the beginning. Again, dun dun dun. So what did you think of this twist then? I really like how they handle the Scott um, plot and just, you know, they did a good job of uh, having just enough twists that it wasn't the same old, but not so many that it was Pirates of the Caribbean free. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. We don't talk about those movies down here, Martin. Um, I really like them. Ah, oh, see, you're strange, my, though. My wife made me. I'll, oh, she made you like them? Yes. Okay, I don't want to know what's going on in your marriage. I like the first one, but that's that's first one's amazing. The first one's really good, uh, but yeah, I it just gets too convoluted for its own good. They yeah. didn't have to continue on the storyline. Just make different, you know, adventures. You don't need to. You don't need to, you know, weave in stuff from the original. People watch it anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, anyway. While she races back to the hospital, Scott awakens and kills the suspect. He is chased by Dunham but crashes his car and is mortally wounded. Before he dies... Before he dies? Wait a minute. Mark Valley's in the opening credits. How is he gonna... How? Why is he dead? There's another twist. Scott asks... Actually, genuinely don't remember, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's one of those things um, I don't remember a thing about John Scott at all in this I remember that what happens to him in the pilot but that's it so yeah that wasn't a spoiler that was me genuinely confused um, Scott asked Dunham why Broyles would send her to investigate the storage units in the first place Dunham convinces the bishops to stay and help her with her new work which Broyles describes as a task force to investigate events related to the pattern in quotes, 
Elsewhere, Scott's dead body is brought into a massive dynamic high-tech lab where Sharp orders that Scott be interrogated since he has only been dead for five hours. Dun, dun, dun! Exactly. And that's a throwback to earlier on where where Walter said, Walter set it up that you you can speak to them six hours after death, so there you go. Yeah, I really like the stuff with uh, John Scott and I like um, the pattern is a really cool, like, catch-all name mm-hmm. um, because it's a broadcast show. They can't just say weird shit. <laughs> it's a nice bit of mystery with uh, Nina having more clearance than Olivia and, like, it's so close to cliche, and a lot of it is cliche, mm-hmm. but they hit the right notes and they do it well. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very well made. It's well written. Um, that twist sort of comes out of nowhere, but mm. That's good because you only really you don't really know John Scott, so it's not as though you can go, Oh come on, that's bollocks. We knew him for six seasons, there's no way. Do you know what I mean? It's like because yeah. you only saw him for ten minutes and we only have what Olivia knows about him to go on. Yeah. And clearly she didn't know enough. There's um the one thing I feel was dated in the pilot mm-hmm. is Broils a reason for not liking Olivia, right? Because he says that she got some uh, military guys uh, arrested for uh, sexual assault, and he thought that that wasn't fair. Um, and it's like, oh, that's a bit awkward. I like that they've set up. I mean, we've already got the team. The team's already set up, right? Mm. We've got Walter, who's the mad scientist. We've got Peter, who's the sceptic of the mad scientist. We've got Olivia, who's the audience. Um, We've got Charlie, who's the sceptic of everything, even though he's not part Mm. of the team. We've got Broyles, who's the boss. We've got Astrid, who's there. And we've got Jean, who's a cow. (laughs) I think you've got Astrid and Jean's ranks the wrong way around. (laughs) Martin! Astrid's... Astra's lovely. Yeah, but Gina's more to do in the plot. That is true. I like I mean, I think Astra's great, but at some point you'd think they'd look at their budget and be like, We're paying for someone we're not using. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, I mean she might get more work, she might get more stuff to do as the show goes on. We'll find out. Will we? Well, yeah, because we're continuing this <laughs> podcast, Martin. Um, I love your optimism. Because Astra's great. Right. She deserves more. She deserves better. She does. Yeah. So, Martin, I gave you the task of this first episode to come up with your favourite uh, Walter line of this episode. What is your favourite line? Because Walter always has weird shit to say, and they're always mostly funny. So what is your Walter line of this episode? Martin? I'm getting it. God. You don't remember it? This is why you write down notes, Martin. I'm looking for my notes. Well, I've got my notes right in front of me. Then why didn't you write it down there, then? Because it's not my notes to write. You're supposed to say yours and I say mine. Oh, this is fucking great, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I like it when he said, let's make some LSD. <laughs> right. Yeah, 
It's his, it's his enthusiasm. <laughs> it's just the way... It's, see, John Noble is bloody good, isn't he? Yeah. He's just... Oh, he's so good in this. I, I just knew him from Lord of the Rings where he played Stuart. Yeah. <laughs> Stuart? Yeah, Stuart. He, he's, he's Stuart of Gondor. No, that's not a very um, Lord of the rings name. <laughs> His name's not Stuart. I've seen those movies, can't remember a fucking thing. And I'm very happy about that. Um, my actual, my favourite line that Walter had in this is the very first line he says to Peter after seeing him for 17 years. And that is, I thought you'd be fatter. I thought that was funny. Yes. And also the also the fact that, you know, Peter doesn't just brush it off. He actually does question him about it. You thought I'd be fatter? Yeah, because you were a, you were a fat kid. I wonder what him grabbing his eye meant. See, the, uh, there is loads of things that's laced throughout here that's that's giving you mystery, and it's like, oh, what's that all about? And what's this? And what's that? And I don't remember a thing, and I'm looking forward to finding it all out. Um, we could get to episode six and go. You know what? This show's actually shit. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, fun fact before we leave. Um, Mark Valley, uh, actually, who plays John Scott, was a soldier before he uh, became an actor. He served in the Gulf War. Well, he should have known better than to betray his country. Yeah, exactly. So do, do you have anything else to say about the pilot episode before we wrap up, Martin? I thought it was a damn strong pilot, having uh, seen many pilots for your other podcast, <laughs> you know, where it might have seemed average at best, it was uh, a very strong contender. And well, to be fair, my old my other podcast um, is about pilots that didn't get picked up, so they're not going to be the, this quality because this was actually aired. You know, this actually became something for five seasons. So, you know, I'd love to know what the um, what's required to get a two-hour pilot like this one. Yeah, that's true. And I'm not actually sure if this... Because this doesn't really re-air much anymore. They don't show this. Like, in the UK, usually you would have TV shows that are shown in, like, Channel 5 late at night or something. But you never see Fringe being repeated. No. Which is quite odd. Which is why I have the Blu-rays and the DVDs. Um, so that's all we have time for. I'd like to thank you all for uh, listening. Uh, the next episode is called The Same Old Story. Uh, if you'd like to follow the podcast, so far it's going to be off my other uh, podcasts. Twitter, it's at DropThePilotPod. Uh, ShiftyBench.co.uk is where you can find my other podcasts. And contact at ShiftyBench.co.uk is where you can um, email us. Uh, give us any sort of you know thoughts and feelings about Fringe, uh, how you first watched it and whatnot. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, not this show, please don't. Um, <laughs> the actual show we're talking about. <laughs> we don't need to know how, how shit this is. We know, we're aware. Um, where can people follow you on the internet, Martin? I'm on Twitter at, at TheFowdor. Excellent. Thank you all for listening. We'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. What happened? Oh, I just pissed myself. Excellent. <laughs>